Uh, as Joel introduced me uh, earlier, my name's Phil Markham. I'm an elder here. Some of you may recognize me and you might not be able to figure out where from. About two months ago, I ran up when the fire alarm went off into the sanctuary before, to try and catch you all before you exited the church to tell you that my three-year-old had, uh, had pulled the, the, uh, the, the fire alarm. Uh, that was the one that, that my wife Natalie carried out, kicking and screaming about 10 minutes ago. Um, I, uh, I've been coming to this church for a while, I think since January 2009. Uh, my wife Natalie, sitting down here, actually was here from the start in Joel's living room. Um, she'll, she'll tell you that uh, she was actually, I think, one of the original worship leaders of Redeemer, and I think she's pretty, she's pretty thankful that um, we have other folks uh, to, to sing and lead us in worship before all of you all. Um, you know, we've, we've heard the gospel, I haven't even preached yet, and we've heard the gospel through uh, Rodney, uh, through the words we've sung, and then through that testimony. Uh, and that's one of the things I love about this church, the gospel is that message, uh, seeking to glorify Jesus, is, is kind of uh, infused into everything we do. Natalie and I uh, live over here in uh, Crestwood North. Uh, we have three kids. Uh, if you don't know Crestwood North, that's uh, the place where there's uh, more men with beards per capita uh, than anywhere else. I think probably more uh, vinyl records than anywhere else in the US per capita. The accent is from a small county in Mississippi. Uh, you might have heard of it. Um, it's called Australia. Um, I grew, up, uh, I grew up in Sydney, came to the US, uh, like I said, in 09 and came to Redeemer. Um, and uh, we don't have any uh, paperwork officially from Joel, but he does tell us that Natalie and I uh, were Redeemer's first uh, couple to meet here and, and get married. This morning, we're going to hear uh, God's words to another church, uh, and their challenges are very different to uh, the challenges we face as a church. Uh, and they're going to seem sort of hard, I think, for us to relate to as we read the text. Um, but, you know, Paul tells uh, a young Timothy, Timothy's a young pastor, and Paul writes to him in a second letter, 2 Timothy, uh, he says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So as we look at this text, and it seems sort of foreign and hard to relate to, um, let's be asking what the Lord has to teach us this morning. So let's come before our Father now in prayer. Lord, you say at the end of each of these seven letters to these seven churches that those who have an ear to hear should listen to what you're saying. We take that seriously, Lord. We want to hear. We want to really hear and take to heart what you want to say to us today. Lord, would you speak to us where we find ourselves today, here in the buckle of the Bible Belt. Would you speak to those of us in college, those of us young professionals, those of us new parents, those of us looking for a job, those of us who are hurting, those of us who feel on top of the world, those of us who are struggling to keep the faith, those of us questioning your plan for their lives. Would you speak to all of us today, Father? Please take my words and use them for your glory. Throw away any of my words that are unhelpful. We thank you that you hear our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, let's turn to this morning's text. We're looking at Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 to 11. 
Uh, the text is in your worship guides. Um, this is the second sermon in our Revelation series that we're doing this summer. Uh, Joel uh, covered the first letter to the church at Ephesus. Let me adjust this a little bit. Is that better? <laughs> um, it's the accent, huh? It's like messing with it. So Joel opened with the first uh, letter uh, last week, and we looked at the, the letter to Ephesus. Uh, and this is the second letter out of the seven to the seven churches. Uh, this is Jesus speaking. Uh, this is the Apostle John exiled on the island of Patmos writing it down. So follow along with me. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you're rich and the slander of those who say that they're Jews and are not but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. So last week, we heard about a pretty different church, Ephesus, kind of in the same region uh, of Asia, also uh, a city in the Roman Empire, um, was uh, doctrinally sound. Their podcasts, if you listen to them, if they had them, were doctrinally sound. The, the worship songs that they wrote were doctrinally sound, um, but they forgot their first love. They forgot uh, that the gospel starts and ends with a love for Jesus. Uh, this church is different. Uh, this church uh, is one of the only two churches out of the seven that Jesus actually has nothing negative to say to. In the other five letters, uh, Jesus sort of starts off with some of the things that, that he commends them for. And then in the second half of the letters, he, he uh, rebukes them. This is one of the only two churches where there is no rebuke. And we see uh, pretty quickly that this is about suffering. Uh, Jesus says, I know your tribulation and poverty and the slander that is spoken against you. Now, that word tri tribulation it can uh, be translated, uh, you know, suffering, basically. But it's a particular kind of suffering. It's suffering directly uh, that comes from uh, being a Christian. Um, so it, it's persecution for the Christian faith. So the city, the, the city this is Smyrna, um, is, is a city in the Roman Empire. It was actually a really rich city. It, it had a port uh, where they did a lot of trading. It was really um, a strategically important city. You could actually close the harbour off in times of war. Um, it was situated between the sea on one side and some foothills on the other. And if you were there in those days, you would have seen a lot of uh, temples to the, to the pagan gods, uh, to the Roman gods. And Remember that uh, in Rome at this time, even the emperor uh, was himself uh, considered a god. And uh, if you didn't worship him as a god, uh, you were persecuted. Now, the Jews, the Jewish uh, communities that lived in these cities, uh, kind of had a pass 
with this. Um, they, I think because of their ancient uh, religion, uh, had kind of convinced the Roman authorities that, hey, we, we can't uh, worship the Roman deities, but we are not a threat to uh, the Roman Empire. Um, so they kind of had a pass. And they actually, as you can see here in the letter, uh, were slandering the Christians. And so it was probably because they were, uh, it might have been religious animosity. Remember at this time, most of the Christians were Jewish. And so it was kind of a fight between who were the, who were the real Jews here. Um, or it may, may have just been kind of expedient. So the Christians may have been a threat uh, to the Jews kind of losing their past with the Roman authorities. Uh, because if you looked at the Christians of those days, they actually kind of did look like a threat. They broke all of the class uh, distinctions in Roman society. One of the things that kind of kept the peace and kept the order is everyone kind of knew their place. Um, but these Christians, when they would meet, they would have uh, slaves and freemen together, uh, rich and poor uh, men and women together. And so from the outside in those days, that looked really suspicious. Um, and so maybe the Jews were you know, just trying to protect their place uh, and so they were slandering the uh, Christians uh, to the Roman authorities, saying, hey, these guys are a threat to the, uh, to the, to the empire. Um, now, I kind of already referred to it a little bit there, but just a quick word against anti-Semitism. This, you know, Jesus was obviously a Jew. Um, every time the apostles went into a city, they went to the synagogues first um, so Christianity, you know, there is no place in Christianity for anti-Semitism. This was really just a result of the time, and the early Christians actually saw themselves as the true Jews, okay? So uh, at this time, the Christians in this city had their property confiscated. Sometimes they were locked up and beaten, and sometimes uh, they were killed. They didn't get the good jobs you know, it, it hurt them financially. Uh, actually m- mentions poverty uh, in the passage. This is kind of hard to relate to, isn't it? This kind of seems foreign um, that the church in a city would, would suffer this kind of thing. Um, you know, and, and as I've been preparing uh, the sermon, you know, that's one of the things that I've wrestled with, right? We, we are not in that situation. And so where, what is the word to us? Um, when we sit in a very different situation. And, and really, when you think about it, the, the church, uh, if you look at the church across time and across all the places that Jesus' church has existed, we are actually kind of an exception. And most Christians that uh, have ever lived and do live are marginalized and poor and don't have a lot of power. Um, and so we are kind of the odd man out. Um, you know, if you think about it in Birmingham, in the Bible Belt, today, we actually have as much uh, power uh, and influence that we can actually, if we want to, uh, persecute those who don't share our values, right? Um, I remember a work colleague when I first started my company years ago. Uh, we both started the company about the same time. Uh, we both started families together and kind of walked through new fatherhood together. and. Uh, he, he was renovating his house, so he had bought a house, it got a good, good uh, you know, lowballed this guy and got a good uh, uh, price for the house. And, you know, as he had time at night, on the weekends, he would, he would um, work on the house and renovate it. 
he filled in the, the garage down the bottom and added square footage. Uh, you know, I, I kind of listened as he tried to work out how he was going to um, reroute the AC and the plumbing and do the electrical. And I kind of followed his progress over the years and was really excited for him. Um, and then it kind of came time to sell it. Uh, so he was going to do a flip and uh, he put it on the market and uh, he got a lot of, a lot of interest. Um, a lot of people were calling his real estate agent wanting to see it. Um, and he confessed to me that uh, one of the groups that wanted to see it was a gay couple. And he, he told me he wasn't really comfortable uh, with selling the house to them. And I didn't really take what he was saying, you know, too seriously. I might have said something like, well, I mean, you know, you could bless them, bless them by, by selling the house to them, you know. There's Christian neighbors around. Uh, man, that would be a cool opportunity for them to witness to this couple and you could witness and share your faith as you sell the house. Anyway, as, as time went on, the house sold and, and he told me later, he confided that he had instructed his real estate agent to basically not open any correspondence from this gay couple, these two men. And so just delay, delay opening any emails just long enough for some other offers to come in. And uh, anyway... Uh, the, he ended up selling the house to a young family, uh, and when he opened up the offer from the gay couple, it was it was like twenty or thirty thousand dollars more than the asking price. So he lost out on twenty or thirty thousand dollars, and he kind of saw that as you know taking one for for Jesus. You know, he saw that as um, you know I stood up for my faith and I, I took you know I took one for the team. And, uh, you know, that's, that's just not what we're called to, right, as, as believers. One of the key things we believe um, as, as a church, uh, as a way for this church to bring glory to God is to seek the welfare of the city. So we seek the welfare of those who uh, share our values and those who don't share our values, right? Um, and so that, you know, being, being in a really different situation within Christianity where we actually do have some political power, we do have um, wealth. You know, we're called to seek the welfare of those who even don't share our values. You know, so in, in where we are right now, we can get an, a, an ear, we can get the mayor's ear. The mayor will hold a prayer breakfast and invite pastors and listen to pastors. Uh, you'll turn on the, the television and, uh, you know, you'll, you'll hear the TV anchors talk about prayer and faith and, and God. And this is kind of in the air that we breathe. Um, this is very, and this is, this is a good thing. This is okay. Uh, but it's very different to the situation in Smyrna. You know, Jesus goes on to say, um, don't be afraid, keep the faith. And one of the things I want us to, to look at this morning is that even though it's a really different situation, actually Jesus' call to us is the same. So even though we, are, we don't live under a pagan government um, who's seeking to persecute us, we're still called to keep the faith. Don't be afraid and keep the faith. Jesus says, do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days, you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. 
out of all the, the seven uh, letters to the seven churches, this is the only one where Jesus kind of opens with talking about a specific threat of persecution. Um, why, why is that? Uh, well, I think it's probably because it's, it's going to be really severe persecution. And so he just gets straight to the point and tries to give them some words of encouragement. Um, he says they're going to be thrown into prison. Uh, the 10 days there is probably just uh, symbolic for a finite period of time. So there's going to be an end to it. It won't last forever. Jesus says some of you will be beaten and tortured uh, and some of you will even die. Um, but keep the faith, do not be afraid. And he says, I'll give you the crown of life. Uh, the crown is something that the Christians there in that city would, would, have, understood, they would have understood the symbology. There was a big athletic uh, stadium, there was an athletic culture there in the city, and there was athletic events that happened in the stadium. And uh, victors who persevered would get literally a crown. And so they would have understood these words uh, from Jesus to mean persevere through the, through the persecution to get the crown of victory. And again, this does kind of seem foreign to us, doesn't it? This idea of, of persevering through persecution for our faith. Um, but, you know, Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he says, You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings. What kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? The persecutions I endured. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So everyone who wants to live a godly life will be persecuted. That's us, right? We want to live a godly life, right? So it says we're going to be persecuted. So where's the persecution in Birmingham? Um, you know, when I was uh, in Australia, I, I was involved in the youth ministry. And uh, it was a pretty big youth ministry. I wasn't the youth pastor. I was just one of the youth leaders. And about 80% of the kids were from uh, private schools. And they were, they were kind of church private schools, pretty prestigious. They'd been, they'd been founded 100, 150 years ago, these schools. And they'd been founded by denominations, Christian denominations, one of you know, the major denominations in Australia. And this was an Anglican church, so most of the kids who were at private schools were in an Anglican private school. And, you know, when they'd been founded all that time ago, the, the, the heartbeat of the school had been Christian. It had been, you know, central to the school. And over time, it had kind of become very prestigious schools that offered a really good education. Parents, uh, wealthy parents, would really send the kids there mostly for the good education. Uh, I went to one of these, so I know what I'm talking about. So you kind of had this, and they were good schools, and if I had the money, I'd probably send my kids uh, to these, one of these schools if we lived in Australia. But uh, one of the things about these schools is you, kinda, you had ch- a chapel service every week. So there was Christ- Christianity kind of around. The non-Christian kids kind of knew, they knew about Jesus a little bit. They had some of the, the, the language, if you will. And, you know, so it was, it was a little bit, it's kind of a microcosm of the South, I think, in some ways. Um, so if you were a Christian at, at this school, you know, it wouldn't kill your popularity uh, t- to be a Christian, um, you know, in the same way as it would at a public school. The other kids at the youth group were from a public school. And so they, 
you know, really were, they really didn't have a lot to gain by being a Christian. It would hurt their popularity, uh, much more likely in the classroom to have uh, a teacher kind of poke fun at their faith. Um, and I noticed, I noticed something interesting about these kids. These kids from the public schools um, were much more grounded uh, in their faith. These kids weren't going to go off to college and kind of have their faith torn apart by, you know, a freshman, you know, philosophy 101 professor. Um, and I think in a little ways, the difference between the, these private school kids and the public school kids in this youth group back in Australia is a little bit like a microcosm of the difference between, say, a Birmingham and like a New York City. Okay, so in New York City, it's probably going to be, it's probably going to cost you to be vocal about your faith. You probably lose some friends. You may, you may be more likely to miss out on promotions. Um, you may be more likely to have a lawsuit against you if you're a business owner. And I think uh, we would agree that uh, as we look around the U.S., things are kind of going that way. The South, it may be a little bit more like that uh, in the years ahead. Um, so, you know, where is the persecution in Birmingham? That's, that's maybe where it will start to come, uh, where, you know, if you're involved in the wedding industry, you might have a lawsuit against you because you are not comfortable uh, covering or, or servicing a gay wedding. Um, you, we may lose, churches may lose tax breaks. Um, you know, this church might get labelled, uh, you know, a church that speaks hate speech because we say Jesus is the only way to God. Uh, which is just repeating what Jesus said. So that may be on the horizon for us. And so I think that uh, is, is, is why we want to listen to this letter. One of the things I, I think we kind of see here is that the quickest way to kind of kill nominalism, the kind of default Christianity, I'm Christian because my parents were, is persecution. That's the quickest way to kill nominalism. Um, you know, Jesus kind of talks about that in the parable of the sower. In chapter, Matthew chapter 13, he says, The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. So like the church in Smyrna, our church uh, is not in control of the persecution we face. Okay? They, I'm sure, wouldn't have chosen the persecution that they faced, and we also aren't in control of whatever persecution we may face as a church. Uh, and Jesus' call I want us to see uh, to the church of Smyrna is actually the same call he makes to us. Be faithful to death, and I will give you the crown of life. You know, in, in Acts 5, you see the apostles, so early on in the church as the gospel was spreading, you see the, the apostles go to, um, into Jerusalem and, and preach the gospel. And you see them brought before the Sanhedrin uh, and beaten and put in jail. Um, and anyway, they get, they get released after they're beaten. And where do they go? They run straight back to the temple courts um, and, and preach the gospel. And they, they counted it worthy, um, it says in the text, uh, in Acts 5, they counted it worthy, they, they rejoiced because they were counted worthy of suffering disgrace for Jesus. 
Now, to me, that sounds kind of like a super Christian. Like, how do we, it just seems hard to relate to. How do we do that? How do you, how do you get released from, from uh, a beating and being in prison and rejoice and then go back and preach the gospel again? Well, um, you know, one of the things is that they actually knew Jesus. So they were, they were apostles. And we know that all of the apostles, um, except for John, the one that's writing this letter, actually died martyrs' deaths. And so, you know, uh, when I was, I grew up in a non-Christian family. And uh, when I uh, came to Christ uh, and I was kind of thinking about hearing the gospel and thinking about the uh, Christianity, um, I remember thinking that, wow, all of the apostles died martyrs' deaths, except for John, um, and they would have known if it was a lie. So, you know, a terrorist that goes and blows himself up uh, for his faith is a little bit different. These guys actually would have known it was a lie. If Jesus didn't really rise from the dead, they would have known it was a lie. And that was one of the things, realizing that, uh, it was one of the things that, that uh, you know, made me think, okay, there's something to this Christian faith. But, you know, how do we have faith like this? They knew Jesus, right? Um, they've got an unfair advantage. How do we have faith uh, like that? Well, look at the beginning of the letter. So Jesus says, look at, look at what he calls himself. He says, I'm the first and the last. So he's reminding us that all things were created through him and for him. He's going to exist forever. And he reminds us that he's the one that's already defeated death. So, so he, all things are created through him, and he's the one that's defeated death already. And he also says, I know your tribulation and your poverty. You know, sometimes Natalie and I have uh, three kids at home, and sometimes the, the, the youngest one is 10 months old. And sometimes, you know, I'm, uh, I'm doing the dishes and Natalie's changing a diaper and the oldest two will be beating each other up, just, you know, just doing something in the other room and we'll hear like screaming, like two cats fighting. And we don't really know what's going on. There's, there's some kind of injustice happening and we, we don't have the, the ability to know what's going on. That's not Jesus, right? We, we see he knows what's going on. He's not too busy up in heaven uh, and he sees what's going on. He says, I know your suffering. But he doesn't swoop in and save them. So, you know, when I was originally preparing uh, the sermon, I was reading the text and I was feeling bad for these Christians, which, by the way, I don't think we should. I don't think we should pity Christians in these kind of situations. I think they would uh, tell us not to, even Christians today. But I, as I was preparing it, I thought, Gosh, wouldn't it be cool if it said, don't fear the first death? That's what I want. I don't want to fear the first death. It's like, come and, come and save me. I'll, I'll handle the beatings if I know you're going to come save me. But he says, he says, don't fear the second death. Okay, so he's not going to save these Christians from the first death. A couple of uh, months ago, Nally and I uh, sat down and watched a movie called Lion. And it's about a five-year-old Indian boy who gets separated from his family. Uh, his name's Saru. And he gets separated from his family in India and uh, ends up all the way across the country, like a thousand miles from where he grew up, uh, in a place called Calcutta. And there's this scene in this huge train station at night. 
uh, so this cavernous train station in Calcutta. And Saru has found these other boys and girls about his age, and they are kind of curling up uh, to sleep together. And uh, you see these men come to, to try and capture them, kidnap them for who knows what. And Saru uh, takes off and, and starts running through the tunnels. And you see him start to run towards a policeman. And the policeman just looks at him, doesn't do anything, and, and then they, the man just chases Saru right past the policeman. And so the policeman either is paid off or just doesn't care. Um, is, is that what Jesus is like here? He knows what's going on, uh, but doesn't care. Um, you know, Jesus says to Paul, uh, who's Saul at the time, uh, on the Damascus Road, he says, why are you persecuting me? Remember when Saul was persecuting the church? Um, he says, why are you persecuting me? So Jesus actually says, when Christians are persecuted, it's as if he is getting persecuted. So he identifies himself with the persecuted Christians. Um, you know, if you think about it, Jesus doesn't just know suffering and poverty in an intellectual way because he's God. He knows it experientially, right? Because of the incarnation, Jesus became human and he lost, he, he had his family betray him. Um, his family disown him. Uh, he had friends betray him. Uh, he had um, a friend die. You see Lazarus die. Uh, and of course, Jesus knew pain, right? Um, with the cross and all the suffering he did on the cross. So he actually knows their suffering, not just intellectually, but experientially. So whatever the reason is that Jesus allows the church to suffer, and that's, that's one of those kind of sovereignty of God questions, it's hard to know the answer to. Um, whatever the reason is, it's not because he doesn't care, uh, and it's not because he can't relate to the suffering, and you know, he is with us. Jesus knows when the church is persecuted uh, because he's with the church and he knows what it is to suffer because uh, he's defeated death and he's, he's died. Um, one of the disciples of the letter uh, of, this, of, of John who write, writes this letter uh, is a bishop called Polycarp. And Polycarp uh, lived about 160 AD um, and it's said that he actually was uh, discipled by John, uh, the, the apostle who wrote this letter. And being the bishop, he had a prominent place uh, in Smyrna. Um, and legend has it that he was martyred there, um, that the Jews uh, told the Roman authorities that he was a threat, that he wouldn't worship the Roman emperor. Um, and this is how the story goes. The Jewish mob uh, said to the Romans, This is the teacher of Asia, the father of the Christians, the destroyer of the gods, who teaches many neither to offer sacrifice nor to worship the emperor. And then the Romans said to uh, Polycarp, they said, Sacrifice to Caesar or be burned. And this is Polycarp's kind of famous reply. He says, 80 and six years I have served Christ, and he has never done me wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? And it was a Sabbath day, and yet the Jews broke their Sabbath to gather firewood for the fire to burn Polycarp. And Polycarp says, it is well. I fear not the fire that burns for a season and after a while is quenched. Why do you delay? Come, do your will. 
Oh, to have faith like Polycarp. Dear Lord, help us use the influence we have in this city at this moment in time to seek its welfare for your glory. As persecution for our faith comes and you tell us it will, help us to be brave and faithful. We can be faithful because you were faithful, Lord Jesus. No matter what you have in store for us, help us say with Polycarp, it is well. Amen.